Welcome to church, everyone. So glad that each and every one of you guys are here with us today. And for those of us, for those of you watching online, so glad that you're with us. We are at the end of our series, our three-part series that we've been uh, doing. It's called Fasting. The series is called Fasting, and that's basically what it's been about. It's about learning about fasting and kind of the different elements and why we do it and how to do it, kind of in part. And we're going to conclude today. And um, I really recommend, if this is your first time here, if your first time watching, that you go to our YouTube channel or you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and catch up on part one and two because uh, those are really foundational. And number three is, is less meaningful, makes less sense if you don't have one and two in, in your back pocket. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. But um, just to get us all on the same page, same page I'm going to do a quick quick highlights from the last two messages. So when it came to fasting, the reason why it's significant and important for all of us is it deals with three tensions that I believe most Christians, if not all Christians, struggle with. And these are the three tensions that we've been dealing with over the past couple weeks. The first one was, I want to change, but I can't. I want to be different. I want to grow. But for some reason, as much as I want to in my mind, nothing's really happening um, that's a tension that fasting kind of intersects with and helps us to deal with. The second is, I want to pray, but I can't. So I struggle with prayer, and I don't know how to like know God's will in prayer. And the last one, which we're going to deal with today, I want to do good, but I can't. And so real quick, the first tension, we talked about this thing called the flesh. That the, One of the main reasons why you want to change but you can't is this thing that the Bible calls or the Apostle Paul calls the flesh. It's that thing in you that prevents you from really changing. And it's a thing in you that demands your way, demands that, that you know what's best and you want to do what feels good and you want to gratify it. And fasting is one of the first ways, one of the best ways to crucify the flesh to use Paul's language. And as we crucify the flesh, what we begin to notice is this. And this is like, to me, one of the main reasons why fasting is so appealing. It's as the desires of the flesh go down, the desire for God goes up. And like, that's what I want to see in my life. And I, I think some of you want to participate in this because of this very reasons. I want to want God more and I want to want spiritual things more. The second thing we talked about last week was about how prayer and fasting can go together. And we talked about three times where you should pray and fast and how they kind of like work together in kind of a partnership. And these are not all the time, this is not every single time you fast every week, kind of certain situations. And my hope and prayer as I talked about it last week is that when you find yourself in one of these circumstances, you're probably going to pray, but I want you to have in your mind like, oh, maybe fasting is something that I can do along with it. And these are the three scenarios or circumstances when prayer and fasting go really well together. The first was prayer and fasting for repentance um, as a confession and a way to deal with the sin in your life and to, to, to kind of bring closure to it through the, the, the power and the grace of God. Uh, the second one is praying and fasting in crisis. When, when something is really bad in your life and you need God to move powerfully, you need a miracle, that's where we see a lot of people in Scripture pray and fast in these times of crisis. And the last one that some of you guys are familiar with is you pray and fast to know God's mind. As you face a decision, as you're kind of struggling with kind of different things like, oh, what should I do, God? What do you want me to do? Where should I move to? What should I do for my job? Who should I marry? Pray and fast in those situations as well. Um, now, today, we're going to conclude this series with this, uh, with this tension, but I realized I needed to make an amendment. So the, the tension I initially said we're going to talk about is, I want to do good, but I can't. 
And I actually realized as I studied and explored this, this is not really what fasting deals with. What it actually deals with, I think, is a lot more compelling. Listen to this. What fasting kind of helps us with is this tension. I want to care, but I don't. I want to care, but I don't. And specifically, we're talking about caring for other people, and more specifically, caring for the poor, the oppressed, the needy, and those who, who have have little, who struggle to make ends meet. And in this tension, this fasting deals with this tension. I want to care about the poor. I know in the Bible it says to care about the poor. And I want to, but I don't. For whatever reason, or I, I used to care, or I used to care a lot, but now I don't care as much. And, and I care maybe enough to, to feel a little sad, but I don't care enough to do anything. And this is a tough tension to deal with. It's a tough one to be really honest about because you guys are wonderful people, loving people, compassionate people. But let's be honest, there are some of us, we are struggling to have compassion for specifically the poor in our community and the poor all around us in our city. So as we uh, conclude this series, this is a very, very important message because for the most part, for the most part, you are thinking about fasting. If you are thinking about fasting, you're thinking about fasting for a specific reason. But what you have to understand about fasting is fasting can become toxic. Let me say that again. Fasting can become toxic. Jesus talked about fasting in Matthew chapter 6, and he talked about a toxic version of fasting. And so here's my thing. As we talk and explore about fasting, as we're thinking about fasting, I don't want you to enter into a version of fasting that is toxic for you. It's hard enough as it is, right? Some of you guys are like, fasting sounds terrible. Not eating is hard enough as it is. What's the point if we do it and it ends up being toxic and hurting us? Like that makes no sense at all. So if you are interested in fasting, if this has been compelling at all, we have to listen to this message because God, what he does is he adds a different dimension to fasting that we haven't talked about yet that will help us to ensure that our fasting stay healthy and spiritual and not toxic and harmful to you. So with that, let's pray, and we'll get into this third tension. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, for your love. God, I thank you for giving us this series and this topic to explore these past few weeks. And I feel like, man, you're going to do something. So God, I want to lift it up to you, put it all in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen. There are some of you who have talked to me. You guys are really excited about this. Like, oh, I can't wait to fast. Or maybe some of you guys already got started. Now, what I'm realizing, and this is true for a lot of you and also true for me, probably the main reason why you're interested in fasting, if you are, is because of what you think or how you think it will help you. Right? That's why we're thinking about fasting. Because of, I think, if I fast, then it's going to benefit me spiritually, uh, mentally, in these ways. And that's why you're interested in fasting. That's why maybe you're really excited because you think, ah, this is what I've been looking for. This is the thing that I need to kind of take me to the next level spiritually. I'm going to begin desiring God more and all that stuff, and that's fantastic. And you want that, and that's, that's good. But I want you guys to understand that there is a different element of fasting, a different side to fasting. Because it's that very idea, and we're going to, get a little, we're going to explore this a little bit more, and I get where you're coming from because I'm like that too. If fasting remains solely about us, that's when it becomes toxic. And so in Isaiah 58, God, through the prophet Isaiah, talks about fasting, 
And he introduces this really challenging wrinkle to fasting to, like I said, make sure that our fasting doesn't turn toxic. So let me read the Isaiah chapter 58, verse 2. And he's talking about the people of Israel in this time. He says, For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. And if, if there were a nation that, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God, they ask me for just decisions and seem eager, eager for God to come near them. So when we look at how Israel is described in this verse, they seem like a, on paper, pretty spiritual community. They, they want God. They want to seek him, and they want to know his ways, and they want to learn, and they have conviction, right? And, and they get really excited. They hear messages, and something stirs in their heart. They're kind of like spiritually open to God. They, they want to do the right thing. But as you read this verse, there's something about this verse that tells you something's wrong. You guys read that? Like, he uses the word, like, seem. They seem eager to know my ways. They seem eager for God to come near them. It looks like it, but there's a question mark. And then he uses this phrase, as if, as if they were a nation. So, so you can, as you read this verse, you can see, like, oh, yeah, they seem like they're doing really well spiritually as a community, but there's something wrong here. And so God explains to them and kind of begins to talk about kind of their experience. And then in verse 3, he, t- he starts speaking as, as them. And he says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? This is the people of Israel talking. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So you begin to see that among this spiritual community that on paper looks really good, there's kind of this self-centeredness, there's kind of this selfishness, there's kind of this consumerism kind of attitude, like, we did the things, God, how come you're not holding up your end of the bargain? I fasted, and you didn't answer my prayer, what's going on? And so you begin to notice that, that their approach to this spiritual life with God as a community is a little bit off because it seems to be very much focused on themselves and how they can manipulate God to get what they want by fasting. There's something not right about the community of Israel at this time. They're focusing on what they can get out of, and they're thinking fasting is not working. It's not working because God is not answering our prayers in the way we would like him to answer them. And then God responds to them, and he says, listen, you're right. You're fasting, and you're doing all the things. You're doing all the churchy spiritual things. Fantastic. But there's a problem. Let me tell you what that problem is. And he explains this in verse 3 and verse 4. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. And he says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? Uh, is it only for like one bowing a head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? So for God, as he responds to them, he says, you're doing all the things, but I know your heart, the motivation you have is selfish. You're just trying to use this to get what you want. You look at this, spirit, this relationship between us, and you've turned it to a transaction. If I do this, God will do this. If I don't eat, then God will do this. 
And God's saying, there's something wrong with this picture because the motivation clearly is not about me. It's not about the relationship. It's about how I can help you and what fasting can do for you. And this is tough because, like I said, most of us are interested in fasting, including myself, because of what I think it will do for me and how I think it will improve my life. So he ends that section by saying, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? In the NLT version, he says, when the, the version, uh, in that version, he says, is that the kind of fast that pleases God? The kind that's done like that with those motives? And you see in these people that something is missing. Not only are they being selfish, but as they are being selfish, it's turning into exploitation of their workers. It, it, it has affected the way they treat people, especially people subordinate to them, their employees, the people who are, quote, unquote, less than them. He's saying, you're doing this stuff and you're fasting, but you're treating other people poorly. You're exploiting them. You're taking advantage of them. And then God responds and says, okay, this is what you guys need to know. This is the problem. This is what you need to know. In verse 6, is not this... Is not this the kind of fasting? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? This is really interesting. God adds a third element to fasting. It's about weakening the flesh, right, and starving the flesh, feeding the spirit. It's about prayer, and it's about showing God your your intensity in in, in the things that you desire and, and using your whole body to communicate to him. But then he says there's also this third element of fasting that you can't forget. And he says, this is the fasting that I want, to do these kinds of things, like set the free, oppressed free, free the captives, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take care of people among you, among you. This is what the fast, the kind of fasting I want. Now, you could argue that God is just being figurative here. He's just saying, like, he's not really talking about fasting. He's just like he wants them to do that. And, and you could argue that. But my question is, why of all the spiritual things that people do, why did God choose fasting? Like, we, he could have talked about prayer. He could have talked about Sabbath observance. He could have talked about going to the temple. He could talk about all kinds of things that they do. They have a, lots of religious activities at this time. But he, for some reason, specifically chose fasting as an example, or, or in the context of fasting, that this is what he wants for people. So this is strange, this, this move, this shift that God makes, because what he tells us is that there is a relationship between fasting and compassion, which is odd. I, I wouldn't normally get that. but Because when he talks about the, there are people who are in need, your brothers and sisters in your town, in your city, among your people, they're suffering. They don't have enough food to eat. They're living outside in tents on the streets, and you have what you can. You can give to them, and you can take care of them, but you're not. See, as we get dig deeper, this is not specifically about a certain type of person in a type, certain type of situation. He's saying, you guys, you fast, but you have no compassion on people who are in need. There is a relationship between fasting and compassion. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's hard to be compassionate. Especially, specifically compassionate 
to the poor. You know, if you think about like in our world today, like everything I feel like robs us of our compassion. I think our culture today tells you that if you are compassionate and trusting and you give and you care, you're naive. And you don't really know and you're kind of being silly and and you don't really know how the way the world works. I feel like our, our, our society is trying to rob us. There's so many things that distract us from the needs of others. Like this is like everything is geared to steal and rob your compassion for other people that are in need. Your history, your own experiences can rob you of your compassion for people. Well, this one time I helped this person. This is what happened. This is how they took advantage of me. This is how they, 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 they did not appreciate my generous gifts. This is how they didn't care that I did this and this and this. They didn't really make, it didn't really make a difference. They didn't change. Those moments rob you of your compassion. Because that person did that, I'm pretty sure these other people, they're going to be like that too, so I'm not going to help. I know what they want. I know what they're like. Our own life and our own history robs us of our compassion. And even our intelligence, guys, robs us of our compassion, right? Because you guys are smart. I know you guys. You guys are smart. And when you find someone in need, I bet the first question or the first thought that comes to mind is, if I give them money, I know what they're going to use that for. As I pull off the freeway, as I meet the person with the sign, I know what they're going to use that money for. I've seen it. I know that if I give them these few dollars, they're going to use it for the things that hurt them, so I'm not going to give. I know that. I, I, I'm not going to get tricked by them. I know. I'm smart enough to know. And you are also smart enough to know that when you come into contact with people in need, the homeless, the poor, you know that if you give them money, if you give them something, you know this is not really going to make a difference. Right? Okay, maybe it might help them for the next like 30, 40 minutes or a couple hours, but it's not going to really change their lives. Practically, it doesn't make sense. What's the point? It's a drop in a bucket. All these things, all these smart ideas and probably right ideas that you have about the poor, as right as they may be and as true as they may be, what they do is they rob you of your compassion. And you may be right, but I want us to call that moment, that, that understanding of, what well, if I give them this, they're going to use it for that. It's not really going to do it. Well, let's call that what it is. That's judgment. That's judgment. And that's practicality. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Do not let judgment and do not let practicality steal and rob you of your compassion. Because as much as we... As you guys might be right, as much as you know that the problems are not going to be fixed, that society's problems are not going to be changed by by one act of generosity or kindness or compassion, what we cannot get away from is the fact that God, God, the one that we love, the God that we worship, the God that is the reason why we're here today, he loves the poor. And he cares for the poor and the broken. And he is compassionate toward them. And his heart is broken over them. Like, I just want to share a couple verses for you guys to understand how much God cares about the poor. And this is hard. And we're going to get to a little bit later why this is difficult for us. In Leviticus chapter 19, God institutes this law that is so awesome, okay? Think about this is God and, and all the things that he has to think about in building a nation. This is the law he gives them. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 and 10, he says, When you, you wealthy people who own vineyards, when you reap the harvest of your land, 
Do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I'm the Lord your God. This is called the law of gleaning. And so as he's setting up a nation, as he's setting up a kingdom, he says, what I want you guys to do, if you own a vineyard, if you're wealthy enough to have land and have crops and a vineyard and whatever, when you harvest, don't go all the way to the edge. Don't try to just get as much as you can get. Just kind of get in the middle. Leave the edges, okay? Leave the edges for people to come by who don't own a vineyard, who don't own land. Let them come and take what they can. And if you're going through the harvest, like this is crazy. He says, if you're going through the harvest, don't go over it a second time. So one shot and you're done. And if, you're, if you go through it and you miss stuff, you miss stuff. It's fine. That's what God said. And then he says, don't, if you drop something, don't pick it up. So if you're like harvesting and you're not careful and something falls on the floor, leave it there. If you pass by this, this bush and there's like, oh, I didn't see all these. I didn't see all these grapes and all these fruits here. You leave it. What God is asking his people to do who are wealthy and who have land, he's saying, listen, guys, I want you to let the poor steal from you. That's what he's saying. Because those grapes, that fruit, that's theirs. Rightfully, legally, it's theirs. They own it. But he says, let people steal from you. They need it. Because I am the Lord your God. And I love the poor. And I'm compassionate. And I care about them. We've talked about this in, his church, in our church. The year of Jubilee. right? This, this moment and this year of economic restoration. So that all the poor can have another shot at a good life. That, so that there is no generational poverty in Israel. Like this amazing thing that God institutes. The year of Jubilee. Jesus loves the poor. And he, he did his ministry to the poor. He cared for them. He touched them. He provided for them. Like you look at Jesus' life. And you can't be like Jesus doesn't care about the poor. He absolutely does. And then when the early church gets together. This church that is supposed to represent him on earth. It says that when they, when they got together, this amazing thing happened in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. It says, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land, right, those people who owned land who would also let people steal from them, or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This was the church that Jesus built. Like, this is amazing, right? And, and I don't know, I've read that verse before when it says that no one, had, no one ever needed anything. And for some reason, I thought it was kind of like a bread and fish thing, like God miraculously multiplied stuff so everyone had enough. But it wasn't a miracle. It wasn't some supernatural event. It was people who had much shared with those who didn't. That's why everyone had everything they needed. Like, if you look through the scripture, it's so clear as much as we may have our hang-ups about the homeless situation and why people are homeless and why people are poor, their bad decisions, you cannot get away from the fact that God absolutely loves the poor and they, he has a soft spot for them. He talks about it time and time and time again. So what does this have to do with fasting? For some reason, and again, I talked about this, how I don't really know a lot about fasting. I'm kind of a noob in this, and I'm trying this out, and I don't really know, and I can't really explain the inner workings. But in God's mind, what we got to understand about fasting is that fasting is a way to grow compassion in us. For some reason, when we fast, we're able to grow compassion in us, especially for those we've lost compassion for. 
People we've tried to help and it didn't work and it was really difficult and it was a burden and we've lost compassion for them. For some reason, fasting is able to grow and build and develop a greater spirit of compassion. And what I want you guys to understand that as we fast, we stand by the poor. We stand by the poor and we acknowledge that we are not much different from them. That we are humans, we are brothers and sisters of the human race, we are brothers and sisters, we are children of God all together. It's just decisions and circumstances, whatever changed it. But we're not that far off. And we stand by the poor and we recognize that they are people who God crossed time and space to die for and to save. Just like you, just like me. Fasting is somehow able to grow a sense of compassion in us as we identify with the the poor and the needy in our community and in our city. And I know that as we talk about this, it's like, you know, what are we supposed to do? You know, like there's so many homeless people. There's, there's so many camps growing up everywhere, popping everywhere close to my house. I'm like concerned about that. I'm concerned about safety for my kids, near the schools, all that. Like that totally makes a lot of sense. I totally understand that. But what you have to understand about fasting and the compassion that God is trying to grow in you is that fasting is not about dealing with the poverty of society in our world. That's not the point. The point is not God wanting you to fast so that you can fix all the problems and find the solution for homelessness and make sure that nobody's homeless anymore. That's not the point. The point of fasting is not about dealing with the poverty of society in our world. Fasting is about dealing with the poverty of compassion in our hearts. That we walk by people and we don't even give them a look. And I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'm right there with you. We walk by and we don't care. But then there's something in us like, but I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. He loved the poor. I should care. And that brings us back to that tension. I want to care. I know I'm supposed to care, but I don't. Or I just don't care that much because this happened that one time. And because I tried it and I had this really bad experience with this person. Because I know it's not really going to make a difference. Fasting is not about solving the problem of homelessness and the poor. Fasting is about solving the problem of why you have no compassion for people that God loves. And why I have no compassion for people that God loves. This is so important for us. You know, I was like thinking about this and thinking about, okay, this is, this is really good, right? Because like fasting, most of us have been wanting to do it because of how it's going to help us and how it's going to benefit me spiritually and how it's going to change me and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. Like, and that, that's exciting to us and that, that's what we wanted to do. But what we have to understand is like many things with God, when it becomes all about you and it stays all about you, that's when it becomes toxic. So there is a way to fast in, in order to grow compassion in us, and there's a way that fasting can help us to actually practice generosity and kindness to others. And, you know, I'm not telling you that after the sermon, okay, you have to give money to every single person who asks. I'm not saying that you have to give, you have to stop in every freeway and every camp and, and give money and, like, there's no end to it. That's not what I'm saying. I, I don't think that's actually the right way to approach it. I just feel like if you are a follower of Jesus, you should take every moment... Every petition, every time someone asks you, you should deal with those at an individual level. 
and just not make any blanket commitments. Like I'm going to give all the time or I'm going to give never. I think the spiritual thing to do is every time we come across a person like that, you take a moment to pray and you ask God, do you want me to give? And God may put on your heart and say, yeah, you should give. Or maybe he'll say, no, don't give. Because I know, because God knows what he's going to do with it. Maybe that's the situation. I'm just saying that we need to wrestle, wrestle with generosity and wrestle with giving and wrestle with compassion. We have to. We cannot just be like, I'm just never going to give. But this is so significant for us as a church, I think, in this time. Because as much as we may not want this, you got to understand that as we look at Scripture, and look at Isaiah 58, this is what is true. You cannot be soft-hearted toward God and hard-hearted toward the poor. If we read Isaiah 58, that's very, very clear. And I know that for, for us, maybe that makes sense. Like, it makes sense where I could be like, love God and want to please him and honor him. But also, I know the situation, so I'm going to like, you know... That makes sense for us at a human level, but for some reason with God, that doesn't make sense. God is like, how can you love me and then not love them? That makes no sense. For us, it works because there's plenty of people that you probably love, but you don't really love the people that they love. And maybe you have some in-laws that maybe you're like, the relationship is not that great. And we can see how that works, but for God, he's like, that doesn't work. You can't love me and want me and seek me and desire me, but also not care about people that I love. That doesn't work with God. Now, as I was thinking about this and reflecting on this, I thought, man, this message is so, like, God is so awesome, man. Like, this is so appropriate for our church, like, specifically Rock Fellowship at this time. Because... Let me just read our mission statement. And it's been a long time since I read this, so it's good. So if you guys don't know, we have a mission statement. And the mission statement of Rock Fellowship is that Rock exists to connect people to a loving community, a living Savior, and a lasting purpose. So what we say that this is why we exist. And over the past few years, like, God has been amazing. And we are in a season of abundance and blessing, guys. Okay, I want you guys to understand that, like, we are in a season of growth and abundance and blessing. Like, we've been having people join the church, and people are being, you know, engaged in small groups, and it's been amazing, right? For those of you guys who've been here for a long time, you always tell me, like, man, it's so crazy how the church has changed, and the church has grown, and it's fantastic, and it's awesome. we got all these kids and all these youth, and, like, wonderful, right? And even financially, we're blessed. Pastor John is going to give a report about that later today. And we're like, oh, it's such a blessing financially. Everyone's so generous. God is so faithful, and it's fantastic. We have have all that we need. We have people. We have a wonderful building. We have a wonderful facility. We have money to, to fund ministries, and it's fantastic. And I can't, couldn't help, as I read Isaiah 58, is like, what if that's us? Because I also feel that in this time, people have been growing spiritually. You know, it's not just like numbers and people. Like, people have been growing closer to God. They've been talking to me about how they want to, like, grow closer to him. They want to know him. They want to understand. They want to go deep in their relationship. Right? This response to fasting, I think, is just an example of that. So we're, like, growing in number, in community, in love for one another. But we're also growing spiritually, and that's fantastic. And in so many ways, though, I read Isaiah 58, and I was like, this could be us. On paper, spiritually minded. We care about God. We love the things of God. We want to please him and all that stuff. But is it possible that we could be or we are also in this place where we do all those things, but we lack compassion for the poor? Like as I was preparing this message, it was like God hit me in the face, man. It's like, I need you to pay attention to this. 
And I don't know if that's where we are or that's where we may go, but I'm just thinking in this moment, God is like, you cannot go there. This church is too awesome. I have so many plans for you. You cannot forget about compassion. Right? So we, we exist to connect people to a loving community, a living savior. The first two things, honestly, we're really good at, right? Like we're good at community and we're, people are growing spiritually, connecting to a living savior. But that last part, that lasting purpose is about compassion and service and outreach and caring. And I look at those, and last, over the last six, seven years that I've been here, we've moved from number one, community, to two, Jesus, and number three, this is where we are now as a church. This is what is missing for us, I believe. And so as I was thinking about it, it's like, oh, wow, this is crazy that fasting, of all things, might lead us as a church to grow in compassion. I feel like that's God's message for us, for you, and for me, and us as a community as a whole. God's like, I love that you're growing. I love that you're growing closer to me, but let's not forget to be compassionate to others. So some, for some reason, fasting is going to do that. So if you are preparing to fast, if you're thinking about fasting, if you want to make this a part of your life, as a part of like kind of your walk with Jesus, like let's not forget that. It's not just about you and how you can be physically well and spiritually well and mentally and emotionally well to just have a sharp mind to hear God's voice and weaken the flesh so that you can overcome the things that you want to overcome. There's another element of fasting that should lead you to compassion for others and specifically compassion for the poor. Now, as we close, I want to give some practical advice, some practical instruction around fasting, like what to do, when to do it, how to do it, what are you actually supposed to do when you fast? Yeah, I'm not supposed to eat, but also what, am I, what else am I supposed to do? And also some considerations that many of you need to think about if you are going to begin fasting. So this is kind of like, we're just kind of shifting gears as we move away from understanding God's love for the poor and compassion for the poor. There's a couple things that we got to know if you are really intending to fast, okay? If you are thinking about fasting, I need you to listen up. If you're not going to fast and you're like, there's no way I'm doing this, you can ignore me for the next few minutes, okay? But here are a couple things you need to know before you fast, and then I'm going to talk about what you actually do when you fast. So here are the things you need to know before you fast. The first thing is, I'm not an expert. That's it. That's all you need to know. The first thing is, I'm not an expert. You're going to ask me questions, I'm going to be like, I don't know. Look it up online, read a book, read the Bible. I don't know, because I'm not really sure. So as much as I want to help, I'm not an expert on fasting, and that's all you need to know. The second thing is that the effects are cumulative. The effects of fasting are cumulative, meaning one time fasting is not going to change your life. And then one time missing fasting is not going to ruin your life. The effects of fasting happen over time consistently. That's why fasting is not supposed to be a one-time deal. It's supposed to be something you do every week as you follow Jesus. Weekly, you fast. And what's going to happen is over time, it's going to change you and transform it, and you may not even know it. And you're going to look back, and you're going to look back at what God has done through the fasting, and you're just like, wow, God is good, and look how I've changed. Fasting is not a silver bullet for your problems. Fasting is not a silver bullet for your faith problems and your spiritual problems. It takes time over time, and you'll see the benefit of it. Sometimes it's going to be awesome. Sometimes you're going to fast, you're going to pray, and you're going to be like, wow, like I totally heard God. I totally felt his presence moving, and it's fantastic. And then sometimes it's going to suck real bad, and you're going to be like, I'm so hungry, and this is all I can think about, and why am I doing this? I don't even want to pray. I don't want to do anything. Like I'm just hungry. What you have to know is you just got to push 
through. Just got to keep doing it. I want to I take a line from Alcoholics Anonymous AA. They have this statement as they end every meeting. This is such a good statement from Alcoholics Anonymous. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it because you're worth it. Keep coming back. I know this one time was rough. This one time was hard, but keep coming back. It works if you work it. It works if you work it. The same thing is with fasting, with Bible reading, with church attendance, with worship, with serving, with giving. Everything that relates to God's spirit and, and spiritual growth, it all works. So keep coming back. Keep fasting. Keep coming to church. Maybe one time was not good. The sermon wasn't great that weekend, but keep coming back. It works if you work it. It works if you work it. The third thing that you need to know is some of you need to contextualize, sorry, contextualize your fasting. Meaning, there are some of you who are in certain situations, you probably should not fast. Maybe you might have uh, uh, health problems. You might have some, some health issues that you're dealing with that maybe you shouldn't fast or you need to amend your fast. Maybe you're pregnant or you're nursing. You got to think about all those things. But hanger, hangriness is not a valid reason not to fast. That's not a physical condition where you're like, I can't fast, I just get too hungry. That's not a reason not to fast. But you might have other ones. So contextualize your fasting. Contextualize your fasting to your life. And the last thing that you need to know is fasting can be done as an individual or in a community. It can be just like your own solo thing, and that's good, and that's fantastic. Or it can be done as a community. And for some reason, as we see, when it comes to following Jesus, a lot of things are better done in community. So if you had a community to do this with and to walk through it with, that could be really, really special. But you don't have to. It's up to you. So that's a couple things that you need to know before you fast. Now, what do you actually do when you fast? This is the teaching part. We're going to put this online on our social media, and, and we'll probably put it in our newsletter as well so you guys can have it. But these are what you guys need to do when you decide to actually fast. The first thing is you set a day and a duration or two days. Uh, you could do one day, two days. It's kind of up to you. Uh, kind of Christian church tradition was two days. It was Wednesday and Friday. But that's not when you have to do it. You don't have to do it. The only thing I don't recommend is don't do it on Sabbath. Because Sabbath is not supposed to be a day for abstinence and fasting and, being, and, and kind of like afflicting yourself. Fasting is a day, or Sabbath is a day of celebration and feasting. And also if you're fasting, you probably won't listen to my sermon. You won't really pay attention because you're like waiting for Pollock. So don't do it on Sabbath. Unless God tells you, then you do it on Sabbath. But pick a day and a duration. And as far as duration, there's two kind of versions of this. You can do what they call a regular fast, which is you skip breakfast and lunch, and then you eat dinner. So it's just kind of sun up to sundown. You eat dinner at night, you wake up in the morning, you skip breakfast, you skip lunch, and then you eat dinner. That's kind of the regular fast. Or you can do an extended fast. And one is not better than the other. One is not more holy. One doesn't get you more points with God. It's not like that. It's just up to you. If you do an extended fast, you can skip dinner one night, skip breakfast, skip lunch, and then eat dinner the next night. This is kind of the duration and the days of kind of options of what you want to do. Now, there are times where, like we talked about in times of crisis, in times of knowing God's mind, you might do an extended fast for multiple days, and that's something you can do. But I'm talking about the regular, every week kind of fasting that I'm encouraging people to take part in, kind of for this next season of life. So that's the first thing you have to do, is set a day or days and a duration. The second you have to do is, the thing you have to do, you have to pray. So prayer is a big part of fasting. And so let me tell you what you're supposed to do. How do you incorporate prayer into your day or your days of fasting? There's three things that I want you to focus on as you pray. You first, you pray during your normal eating times. 
So if you were going to eat lunch on your lunch hour or your lunch 30 minutes, your lunch break, you pray during that time. Instead of eating, you pray. So instead of eating breakfast, you pray. Instead of eating lunch, dinner, you pray. You spend that time praying. So that's pretty simple. Just use time that you would have spent eating. Use it for prayer. Then you also use hunger as a prompt for prayer. So whenever you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, that's a moment for you to be like, okay, it's time to pray again. So some of y'all are going to pray like a hundred times in this time, right? You're going to feel that hunger pain, but that hunger pain is like your flesh being starved. And so in those moments, like pray, seek dependence from God, strength from him in those moments when you feel a hunger pain. And the third thing that you can do is you think of a specific habit or sin that you want to overcome, right? The flesh, the, the way that the flesh is overcoming you and is getting control over you, think of a habit or a sin. And in those times of prayer, you pray over these things. As you fast, as you starve the flesh, you pray that God will give you victory over this particular habit sin, whether it's materialism, whether it's pornography, whether it's substance abuse, whatever it may be, if it's anger, whatever it is, or jealousy, you bring that to God in those moments of prayer and you ask for victory as you fast. So a couple things that you can do when you pray. And the third thing is kind of related to what we talked about today. As you fast, when you are fasting or after you're fasting, you think about how much money you would have spent on food in that moment, in that meal. And you set that money aside. And you think about how, who you can give it to. Who in your life, who in your community, who you know that could use this money. So you set aside the money you would have spent on food. So it's easy if you're going to go out and eat, you know, you can figure that out. But if it's at home, you think about how much money you spent on groceries for that and how much you would have used. Go through that process to figure out how much money you spent. Put that money and give it to somebody or set it aside and collect it over time and then give it away then. This is a way that we can engage in this third aspect or this third dimension of fasting. Set aside the money you would have spent for food and give it to the needy. And the last thing that you do is I want you to share your experiences with people. With your small group, send me an email, send me a text, something. Because what, what you experience in fasting, I want everyone to know about. I want to see how God moves through this in this church and in this community. So share. This is really simple. This is what you do when you fast. And there's no formula. There's no guarantees. There's no like, this is how you do this, step one, two, three, four. This is just kind of like a general plan because I'm not an ex expert. But I think this is a way that we can approach fasting that may be meaningful for each and every one of us who begin to try to do this. Like I said, fasting is hard. It's not always going to be wonderful. But I feel like God is going to do something through it in your life and in this church. And so if you're willing, and you don't have to do this, it's assumed, but it's not commanded in the Bible, so you don't have to do it. But I want to invite every single one of you guys to begin practicing fasting as a part of your weekly habits, a part of your weekly rhythms as a follower of Jesus, and just see what God is going to do through that. And I want to close by that AA statement one more time. Keep coming back. Keep coming back to fasting. Keep coming back to the Word. Keep coming back to Jesus. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. It works if you work it. Let's see what God is going to do. And I hope you join me in kind of this next season of life as we incorporate fasting. Because it works if you work it. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you so much for this series. Just one of those series where I didn't know why we're talking about this. But as I thought about it, it became so much more clear.
I'm so thankful, God, that you would be a God who continues to reach out to our community, reach out to me, to lead us into truth and to lead us in the way you want us to be led. God, if there's anyone in this room listening or anyone watching that is convicted to begin fasting, to incorporate fasting for spiritual reasons into their life, Lord, I pray, God, that you would guide us and bless us through this time. And Father, we pray that it would make us people who have the power of the Holy Spirit overcoming the power of the flesh in our lives. It would lead us to become people with deeper prayer lives and prayer experiences, but also it lead us to become people of greater compassion for the needy and the poor around us in our city and in our community. Lord, thank you so much for challenging us. God, we trust in you and we give it to you. In your name we pray, amen.